Hey guys, Dustin Wynn, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio. Hey, this is Scott Snyder, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Paul Dini, listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. Uh, we've got a very special bonus episode tonight, so we're not going to waste any time. Let's bless the rains down in Africa and take a head count at the round table. We've got Bat Force Tom in suddenly rainy California. Am I the only one that hates that song by Toto? Mm, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> uh, don't mess with Texas, Grandpa Batman. Bang, bang. And I'm Robin Cross in Canada. So, as I said, special episode tonight. Uh, Going to rewind a little bit. In September 2017, The Batman Who Laughs made his comic debut as a part of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's metal event and quickly became the hottest new character in comics. Over the next year, the character would make return appearances in other comics, including Scott's Justice League, uh, as an almost ally of Lex Luthor, as well as a growing number of statues from brands like DC Collectibles and Prime One. Today saw the release of issue one of a self-titled miniseries from Scott Snyder and Jock. Uh, joining us to answer for these atrocities is the character's creator, <laughs> making a long overdue re- return to Batforce Radio, the Batforce's best friend, Scott Snyder. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so That's much for so having me, guys. I'm sorry it took so long to come back, but no. I, I love coming on the show, so I really appreciate you having me again. You've been crazy busy, man, so it's, I mean, it's... You've been insanely busy, so it's uh, it's no problem at all, man. So yeah, you got you know Bat Force. I'm sorry, the uh, Batman who laughs, but you have Justice League going, and you just wrapped up Metal a little bit before that. You were doing the No Justice thing, dude. Like I don't know when you sleep. And which yeah, is- no, well, it's crazy, dude. And we have a lot of family stuff, good good family stuff going on right now. That's uh. It's kind of kept me here, um, so uh, it's been nuts. But I, I try and just stagger it. I have the book with Capullo also that we're working on that um, I can't wait to come talk to you guys about as well once we are able to. They really want to keep it kind of behind a curtain. We just finished, I'll, but I'll spoil a little bit. We we <laughs> we finished book one, um, and he's about a third of the way through book two. So it's each book is fifty pages, um, and it imagines um, like our Batman twenty years in the future. So it's kind of like our Dark Knight, um, even though our version of it, as you can imagine, the same way like Zero Year was our year one, our our kind of Dark Knight is going to be pretty different than anything you've seen before, I think, in terms of um, uh, a, a final chapter of a Batman mythos. So, you know, our Batman wakes up and uh, he's, uh, he's uh, still young and you don't know why and he's in Arkham and I'll, I'll, you know what I'll spoil it later I'll spoil, I promise <laughs> yeah. I'll, spoil, I'll spoil all like huge parts of it for you but don't get yourself in trouble spoil too. more Batman who laughs today so alright that's that's uh, last night on earth right that you were talking about it is yeah awesome yeah so that'll probably come out in um, I don't even think I'm supposed to say but it'll probably come out I think in March uh, and then the set, they're doing a bi-monthly for every black label book now so i guess it's supposed to be like march and then may and then july is that they're doing that for every black label now that's what they told me because we we have enough that we could do monthly Got it. um so i'm i'm not sure if that's the case for every book so you know don't um yeah. anyone out there listening don't quote me on that in terms of uh you know hard and fast rules but i think that's the model they're looking for um because that's what they seem to be um suggesting to us and we're we're obviously in a position where we can we can kind of go a little faster than that so yeah got it is that, is it going to be oversized uh as well or is it going to be standard size 
I think all of them are st- all of them are oversized. They wow. really want to have a unified format. Um, so it's going to be that same format as the dams, unless they change something between now and then. So um, I'm fine with it either way. To be totally honest, I don't really care what format it comes out in too much. I mean, I'm really it's a story that I wanted to do with with um, Greg a long time ago, and then. Essentially, I, I realized that uh, when Greg left or when Greg was saying he was going to leave the book, um, I didn't know when I'd get to do it because I didn't think we'd, we'd have a chance to come back to Batman because I really felt like, you know, he and I would do metal, which I already had planned in my head. And I knew that was going to take a good year to do. And, you know, after that, I wasn't sure if we were going to do indie stuff or go to Marvel or what. Holy so shit. I started and I spoke to um Greg and I was like I don't know when we're going to get to this thing you're taking a year off and then we have this year long event that's going to take forever to do so I started talking to Sean Murphy about doing it and doing it kind of as part of All Star or doing it as a as a final chapter uh, standalone thing and then he was all down and he started uh, tinkering with it and then it was while he was doing White Knight and the more I saw of White Knight and, and saw that script and then the story the more I knew it, it wouldn't work just because a, his stuff was so special and, and unique to him that to do another Batman that was our my story right after doing his, it just I felt like it would cheapen what he was trying to do with his stuff and and all of that. And I was so proud of him. And you know he's one of my absolute best friends in the world. Wow. And um, so then when I just went to Greg and I'm like, Greg, we have to find the time if you can to do this. And I told him the story again, and he he was like, we will. And so we just decided we do it after metal this way. So to me, it's so important to me as a story. And it kind of, it really is kind of the final chapter of what happens to our Batman. And it involves the whole DCU. Superman is missing and Wonder Woman is, is still an Amazon, but she's, she's been through a ton and she's got like almost like a mohawk with a braid in the back and her Amazons are, it's great. Her Amazons are like <laughs> Vixen and Ivy and all these characters and stuff. So it's really crazy. It involves everybody in the DCU from Lex Luthor to, to, uh, to Dick Grayson to all the way down. So it's, it's a huge, it's a kind of a huge, uh, it's a huge, uh, epic. I'm really, really proud of it. And it involves mostly Batman traveling, uh, with, um, the Joker's head, for some strange yes. reasons, he still be alive in a jar, and so he travels with Joker's head attached to his belt, and it talks to him. So it's kind of narrating the whole story. It's really, it's very. Anyway, the reason I came up with it was because um, when I started on Batman, I think I told you this when I spoke to you, maybe one or two, maybe I think it was two times ago that yeah. when I was really freaking out when I was starting on Batman, um, I bumped into Grant Morrison, and he was like, "The way to calm yourself down is to do." a birth and a death for your version of Batman, make him really yours. So retell the origin in your head, your own way, and then give him an ending. Um, like Frank did for dark Knight, or granted for, for his Batman. Um, and so, uh, I did. And, and so this story has been in my head for five years plus, you know, um, and it's evolved over time, but it's been there and it's really important to me since then. So I'm really excited about it, but it's also something that's, I'm not going to kind of try and, hype that much i want right, to just right. stand and speak for itself whereas a lot of the stuff in continuity i'll be like you know pt barnum and out there selling it as much as i can and i want this one to just kind of come out and quietly and be what it is and quietly knock your dick that. off <laughs> and uh we we know how long you've had this on the burner because i remember you telling us about it in the early stages of all-star and mm-hmm. at the point that you were telling us about it uh it was you were planning for it to be sean doing the art and as badass as that would have been, because we all love Sean, he was on the show uh, a while back. Uh, as much as we love him, and that would have been awesome to see you guys do it, it feels right that it's you and Greg doing right. it together. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I really, you know, it's our it's our version, and, and it involves the owls. It involves all the stuff that we built. So it would have been weird. I mean, Sean would have killed it. It would have been amazing. But um, I'm so, again, I'm so... Uh, excited for him and, and thrilled with what he's been able to build. And I've read and, and talked to him about um, Curse of the White Knight, and it's going to be great. The, the Ezreal, the second book, it's yeah. going to be so good. It's yeah. a nice poetic thing to do with with uh, Greg also for um, the fans that you guys personally have brought over. to. I mean, you guys are both responsible for bringing over fans that had not been reading comics for a long time with, the, with your guys' partnership up together. So, you know, it's only fitting that you guys are kind of... Uh, ending it together as well. It's kind of nice little bookends, you know? 
Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Here, I'm gonna. I'll do this so you can. You, you can see me. There I am. Hey, so, what's up? Makes it easier. There he is. Nice old cabin. <laughs> I feel in the so back. weird. It's weird staring into a blank thing. So <laughs> that way. Sure. You can you see Gramps? Yes, he's, I can see him. But he's I, the handsome yes. guy. <laughs> um. Okay, so we'll we'll jump to the you know obviously we wanted to talk to you about uh, the Batman who laughs, but also yeah. we haven't talked to you since we talked uh, the last time about, in my opinion, the moment where I think you really became you know just the embodiment of everything you've been working on is when that Court of Owls Lego set hit the shelves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, they sent it to me and it was like my kids finally were proud. <laughs> it's kind of what it was. They were like finally proud of me. So um, no, I, we have we have a couple of them. They built each one of them built one. It, it's like it really was the biggest thrill ever. I, yeah, that's pretty much like I think you've been cemented in Batman history with that. I mean, everything else as far as the comics and the collectibles, but once you got some Lego characters and a suit based off of what you wrote, that's like it, man. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm I really feel lucky. It was it was it's pretty incredible to see that. So all right, my well, nephew loves Legos, and I mean. That's pretty much all I buy him, but that's going to be one set that I'll hold back for myself. <laughs> he he yeah. won't he won't get that one. I have a two year old, and he found the box of the set, and he brought it to me, and it was still sealed. And he, well, I opened it eventually, but I hadn't at the time. And he he walks it over to me, and goes, "Dada, open, open, Dada, mine." And I go, <laughs> "I'm sorry, buddy. That that's that's Daddy's." And he just immediately just starts crying, bawling tears. You and destroyed him. I know, but I, I can't, man. That's 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 daddy's uh that's daddy's set, so Well that's how you have a kid that grows up and becomes Batman. Oh yeah. He he I mean, he already loves he his first word was Dada, his second word was Batman. So oh. my wife is it's, right. it's really cute when he does it, it's like Mama. <laughs> yeah. yeah the uh there's that and then um no we've been so lucky dude between seeing the success of the owls and our joker versions and seeing them start to seep into other medium and stuff like that yeah. it's been a huge thrill so well, yeah we, now this i mean we freaked out when we saw the uh the dc collectibles uh batman who laughs statue well a black and white statue yeah, of, of him. They so. sent me that. They they're sending me the sideshow, which I can't. Believe oh my it. god, the prime one! I know, I know. It's huge. I'm like afraid. I feel like my kids are going to be terrified of it. So okay, that's <laughs> what I wanted to ask you about. What what was it like when you started seeing all these like merchandise and statues and things where you knew that the audience just immediately grabbed this character and and just boosted him to the top. Um, I mean. It only, I mean, it happened with the owls and with our Joker and a couple other things now and then. But with this one, it really was crazy viral where the minute he was introduced, it was like a few days after the design um, was out with, um, we, and it was funny because DC really wanted to reveal him early, like before Metal started. And um, I fought that with Greg. We really wanted him held back so that he'd be a surprise in the event. And there's part of me that always is like, did I make a mistake? Should I have done that? Like, But um, I remember he, he was revealed in the event while some of the other Dark Knights were revealed before it uh, more prominently. And then, and he was, you know, he he, he was in Metal 2 and Suicide Squad, and then, uh, which had a crossover. And then um, I was at a con like a day or two later. It was like within two days, and somebody already was cosplaying him, and it was crazy. Wow. Where I was like, "This one has legs," and that that happened with um, the Court of Owls as well. Where uh, as soon as we they were introduced, because we started in September, and the designs were out, and then I think we had New York in October, and someone came with one of the masks. And I remember Bob Harris, who was editor in chief being like leaning over and just being like uh you know um i think you got yourselves a spin off with this one yeah. and it was, it was wow. like, and that's what that's what launched talent and all that stuff so oh yeah it was it was it's always a huge thrill i mean there's we people think um i think sometimes that we sort of see that and we're like oh yeah that's sweet but it really actually it affects us deeply when we see fans take the time to create our characters bring them to life and it does also have an effect on editorial and and dc administrative they see it and they know that means that character has heat so thank you to everybody that dressed up as batman who laughs because yeah. this is a story that we're doing right now um this one that we're doing now i mean i 
had in my mind from when we planned metal. I mean, one of my stipulations to DC when I did metal, I had a few, <laughs> but um, one of them was that I laid out about a two-year plan where I said, if I do metal and metal is successful, if it flops, it flops. And I was like, you know, if people don't go for this kind of gonzo, you know, crazy, dark, fun, out of control thing, I understand. Because, you know, I saw event things that I really liked sometimes crash and burn and you never know. Like, you never know. I mean, there, there have been things that I was so sure, you know, uh, that other people did that I was like, I love this and this is going to hit and then it doesn't hit. And, you know... I've been relatively lucky, but um, with that, I was like, if it hits, what I want to do is I want a Batman Who Laughs miniseries about a year after Metal. Um, I want to do it with Jock uh, and that stuff because I'm not mm. going to get the chance to tell the story of him facing off with Batman and Metal because at six to eight issues with fill-ins, Metal doesn't have the room for that confrontation in earnest, but there's a confrontation there that will speak to some of the darkest and best stuff that I've done, I think. And so they were like, yeah, if it takes off, sure. Um, and I said, you know, the way I see this series is that I 100% want you to be able to pick it up and read it. If you haven't read Metal and you haven't read Justice League and you haven't, that's fine. Uh, I want it to stand like the Black Mirror where, you know, I that is one of the books I'm proudest of. But it was in continuity. And, you know, Dick Grayson being Batman was because Grant had uh, Bruce Wayne lost in time, all those kinds of things. And Batman Who Laughs is similar in that I want it to stand alone as a book you can read and that's very singular and really special into itself, hopefully. But I can tell you the same way, um, you know, Court of Owls or a book like Death of the Family had repercussions that wound up... Death of the Family was designed to then do Endgame. There were two parts. Or This story has repercussions that are going to affect major things in the DCU going forward. And it's part of a two-year plan where, whereby me and, and Josh Williamson and James Tynan and a, a couple other writers, now Bendis and, and uh, you know, Kelly Sue and G. Willow, and, but really us, when we were planning Metal, me, James, and Josh, uh, were like, if we do this, then on the other side, we'll do a, a thing called No Justice that will give us these Justice League books, and these Justice League books will all culminate about a year and a half to two years after they start and the Batman Who Laughs series will play a part in that and a series we're about to announce is going to play a part in that and then it'll all kind of come together into something really special so it, it was one of those things where I just pitched them and I'm like this is my plan and if metal does okay that's what I that's what I need to resign and they were great about it so Batman Who Laughs to me is a really special and important book because I want it to stand with my best stuff and yet at the same time it plays a very important part in the whole year so it's it's not just in canon it's in canon and in continuity but it, it will affect canon and continuity now you uh, like the the rogues the villains that you create they're all very much kind of in your your laying your alley for like a horror element you know mm -hmm. with the court it was like you know this mysterious uh sub-level organization that batman thought he knew everything about gotham but he really realized i don't know everything there's actually been this group that's ran gotham for centuries and you know it, it kind of shook him at his core Joker, your your Joker is probably the scariest Joker that has ever been written. No, and thanks. then and then now, Batman who laughs is almost like the worst you know, type of Batman. Oh yeah, it's yeah. like Halloween on steroids. I mean, do you love creating these super creepy, scary characters like that? that yeah, Batman? I mean, for me, it's funny because I really think horror. I. I didn't understand why I liked it as a kid because I've always been a big horror fan since I was little. I mean, my favorite books are, you know, Frankenstein and Pet Cemetery and favorite movies. Or, I mean, I still I have a lot of action movies I love, like Indiana Jones and whatever, but Night of the Living Dead was the first movie that really sort of shook me, the original one. And um, for me, I think what it is is that when horror is done well, it really is kind of conflict just burned down to its core values. You are facing off with something that's the living embodiment of everything that you're afraid to face about yourself or the world. Um, and it's incredibly powerful when it's distilled to that pure form. 
when it's bad, it's, you know, hokey and you're fighting a big monster that means nothing and it's just running around and screaming. But when it's done right, it's almost like this kind of elevated form to me of conflict. Uh, so the villains that I create, I love, I love making them sort of extensions of my own, but especially of the characters of Bruce's anxieties. So Joker really played off a lot of those when I was writing Batman, where he comes in and he says, he was very much about coming in and saying, everything you do does not mean anything. Uh, you you are trying to be this engine of meaning and, and make sense of things. And ultimately, I just kind of laugh at you when you do that. I want to show you why you're better served, uh, you're better served, um, understanding uh, that there really is no purpose in all of this stuff. And, you know, the, at different points in that relationship, we, we, we Joker wanted to do different things with Bat, to, to Batman. But at core, that's who he was. He was this kind of ultimate nihilist kind of devil who believed, you know, at first he was trying to say to Batman in Death of the Family, that one was kind of a comedy, and that's why he has the smiley, almost comedy-looking face on his face. And then Endgame was meant to be a tragedy where uh, by that point he there's no love between the two of them and Joker is just out to kill him and prove to him that everything he's built is just kind of dust. But, you know, at the beginning in Death of the Family, Joker was saying, I know you want to be larger than yourself. Uh, I can help you do that. We can, we can be locked in this eternal battle of meaning versus non-meaning together if you'll just get rid of all your human attributes like the family and all the stuff that makes you whoever you are without the mask. Beneath my face, I'm just more Joker. See, there's no human there. Beneath your face, you're a bat. Let's be those things, and I will fight you and show you that I will forever say everything means nothing. You will forever say everything, you know, life has meaning, and we will we'll be huge totems of that. And that will ironically give our own lives their own meaning. And, and then when Batman rejects that, he becomes, Joker becomes angry. <laughs> but yeah, it's he, like he um, took away Joker's purpose, and once he took away Joker's purpose, he was like, all right, I'm going to fuck this shit up. Oh, yeah, exactly. And that's, but the thing I'm getting at is almost like, but Joker, one of the things that I realized when I was writing Joker was that there were limitations um, in terms of not what he would do. I mean, he's always, he's dark enough that there's very little that I could imagine him not doing, you know, with as part of a plot. But he was a very, he's a very sort of um, a character focused on proving things to Batman that he's very locked in a kind of relationship with Batman that's about uh, this kind of dialectic he's having with him all the time. And it's, it's, it's core to Batman, and it's incredibly rich and fun to write. But I wanted a villain that was almost, like, scarier than that, that was sort of like, I don't care if you think I'm right or wrong. You know, I, I'm almost like a Joker who was, had, didn't need Batman at all, and wasn't trying to prove anything to Batman. And so the Batman who last was kind of born in my head before metal when I was like, what if when the Joker died, he has this toxin in his heart that makes whoever kills him the next Joker? What if that happens to Batman? Joker finally goes too far, creates uh, you know, uh, the situation where Batman kills him. And then Batman becomes this horrifying nightmare where he's the living embodiment of the belief that Batman always wins. And he is the apex predator. He's meant to look like a shark where he just kind of is always swimming in like anything that threatens him or that could be a threat from an animal, a man, a god, a celestial being. He has a hundred ways to take down before it even comes near him. And that's all he does. So every world he goes to, he's the last man standing because nothing, he'll leave nothing that could threaten him. So he's almost like, I don't care what you think, Bruce. Like, he's not here to prove anything to Bruce Wayne. You know what I mean? Like, so that's what's so scary about him to, to Bruce and to me is that he, when there's a scene in issue two that I love where basically there's, I'll tell, spoil a few scenes, but in case you're just about to pick up the book, the book essentially begins with Bruce Wayne discovering, as he's kind of tracking this smuggling ring, he discovers a dead Bruce Wayne being smuggled out of Gotham and this body, this kind of um, dead body smuggling ring. And he doesn't understand why it was brought here, and he discovers the tissue was taken from it, and he starts to realize the Batman who laughs is back, and he's bringing these Bruce Waynes here for a reason, and he can't sort of figure out why yet. Now the Batman who laughs is here, 
with a henchman who's one of the few Dark Knights that I left out of metal that I really wanted to use in metal, and then I just felt that he would overpower the other Dark Knights. Um, but his, he's called the Grim Knight, and he's mm-hmm. sort of like the angel of death. So this is a Batman who, when Joe Chill killed his parents, um, Joe Chill dropped the gun as he was running away, and young Bruce Wayne picked up the gun and was like, Damn. just shot him. And from that moment forward, all he uses is lethal force. Even when the bat comes through the window, spoiler, I'm going to give some, we're doing a one-shot about him, actually, after issue three. It's uh, me and Eduardo Rousseau. It's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm really proud of it. And um, you see his origin, and like when the bat, comes through flying through the window you know and when the famous scene mm-hmm. when it's like yes father, I should come back he shoots the bat <laughs> like, that's when he's like when he's like yes father I should be coming back but he's um he's terrifying because on his world it's not just that he uses guns I mean that's part of it he uses knives he uses everything to kill you um but what does he, he use also- against that that first guard in uh the mm-hmm. what is that that he's using Oh, he has like that sharpened, terrible bat tools and stuff. But he also, the thing that makes him really scary that I was trying to explain to DC was that on his world, he's Bruce Bruce Wayne. He's a multi-billion dollar industrialist. And so he has things, chips like in your GPS. He has little joints. He has joints inside the air conditioning systems of basically every apartment in Gotham. He has things in the water system. So if he wants to kill you, your car just goes off a road. And you you don't even know it's him. It just blows, it goes into flames. Or you just die of carbon monoxide poisoning in your apartment, and you won't know he did it. So he's terrifying. He's like the deadliest man on his planet, and now he's here, and if he hooks into Gotham systems, he's going to be really, really terrifying. But he's still subsidiary to Batman Who Laughs, who's kind of the biggest nightmare. And this series pits Batman Who Laughs with his henchman, the, the Grim Knight, against Batman. And the reason all these Bruce Waynes are in it, too, is that there's a plan as to why they're here. Um, but it's not cosmic and crazy. It's pretty grounded, honestly, for all of its, all of its kind of, um, you know, uh, multiple Bruce Waynes and dimension stuff. It's, it's still meant to be a gritty, dark, uh, grounded mystery. Is that I want Bruce to have to look at all these versions of himself, these nightmare versions, and these happy versions, which are the dead versions, and start to really question whether he's the nightmare Batman or the bat, the Batman that isn't working right. And ultimately, what the Batman who laughs believes, regardless of whether Bruce believes it or not, he doesn't care what Bruce thinks, is that Batman, this, the bat itself, this might sound corny, but it's a thing I've thought about for a long time and kind of been looking for a way to work into one of my Batman stories, is that the bat is really the only mammal that genuinely flies, right? And so the symbol of a bat, as much as we associate it with fear and superstition and a messenger of the dead, is also really a symbol of inspiration. It's the only animal that does something, mammal, I mean, like us, that does something that we would find wholly impossible, right? It flies. And so it defies gravity. It defies the ground, which pulls on us gravity, the idea of death, the dirt. And so Batman is meant to teach us how to evolve into something better or impossible, right? And Batman Who Laughs really believes that. He believes, I am a Batman who's showing people how to be what they're supposed to be. This Batman is a nightmare. He's the most wasted Batman of everybody I've ever seen on every killed. And so he's here. Yeah, and he says it to him in issue two. Issue two basically i'll spoil a scene for you to give you an example of what the series is like but like um basically uh batman who laughs goes to wayne enterprises and there's a secret elevator that takes bruce wayne up to the floors that are heavily protected that have his ser- the servers on them for wayne enterprises and um there's an old man who runs the elevator and he's it, t- it requires all of bruce's dna to set the elevator off he has to blood saliva everything you know so and all that so there's there's a whole security system but the man who just rides the elevator was um he's an old man and he was he was blinded and hurt in an attack on gotham by mr freeze and so uh bruce gave him a job and so he's like he hears bruce wayne's voice as batman who laughs is coming and he's like oh bruce i'm so glad you're here thank you you know so good and batman who laughs is like hi bill how are you? It's so good to see you too. How's the wife? How are the kids? You know, and, and Bill's like, oh, they're great going up. And he's like, yes, I am. And he takes Batman who laughs up because he has 
Bruce's DNA. So he gets in the elevator and he sets it off. And as he's going up, Bill is talking to him and he's like, thank you again for giving me this job, you know, and Bruce is, uh, Batman laughs, opens his coat and it's just full of death weapons of like, <laughs> every, and he's sharpening them and he's grinning and he's like, you know, and Bill's, he's like, oh, I'm so glad to hear the pacemaker's working, Bill, and you're doing well and the kids are good. And Bill, the door dings and Bill's like, I just want you to know, Bruce, you're one of the good guys. And Batman laughs is like, why, thank you. And then the door is open and all the guards are like, and Batman laughs just attacks and murders like everybody as he goes through. See, now that's horror and, right there. Because, I mean, you know, he's riding up, he's blind, he's in this elevator, and he can't <laughs> see that, Building that tension. the biggest predator ever is right next to him just getting right. ready to unleash hell. That's the stuff I love, yeah. you know? And then the, the scene that I'm getting to, too, is Batman eventually... Not to spoil too much, but Batman smashes in through the window and they have their first big confrontation. And the Batman who laughs downs him pretty easily because he has the Grim Knight on a rooftop across the way. Right. And he takes him down pretty easily. And, and the opening scene of that issue is Bruce, sorry to spoil so much, but Bruce's, the whole issue, the whole series is about happiness. The first issue talks about Bruce's happiness memory. The second issue is about where does happiness live in the body. And Bruce is talking about how, um, it lives in the heart in so many cultures. They believe it lives in the heart, even though it makes no sense, but you know that you know it lives in your mind. Um, but he says, you feel it in your heart. He's like, when I think of my parents, I feel it, that night that they died in my heart. And he's like, the thing I remember the most is my father's hand over my heart as the gun went up, even though a hand would never protect you from a bullet. He still covered my heart. Like his, his fingers were almost like extra ribs over mm -hmm. my chest. And then when the Batman who laughs has him down in Wayne Enterprises, he walks over to him and he says, you know, Bruce, I remember the night our parents were killed, too. And he puts his hand on Bruce's chest right where his father's hand was. Fuck. And he's like, he's like, I remember our father's hand right here on my chest, the warmth of it. And he's like, and I also I want you to know Gotham is like a heart and you're like our father. You're a weak old man's hand trying to protect it from a bullet. And I'm holding the gun. And then he's like, bye, Bruce. And he leaves him in flames everywhere Fuck. and everything. So and He's so mean. So he's like the meanest up. character to write. He's so So, so does, the Batman, for who, you. does yep. the Batman who laughs see our Batman as the Batman who fails? Yeah. He sees him not to give too much away. He doesn't care about him, so he doesn't. he's not trying to take him down. He doesn't have any. He, he sees him almost as like a. You're I can take him down any. Well, he he is here. He's definitely here to take him down. As a th he sees him as a threat, mm -hmm. so he has plans to take him down. But his plan isn't about taking Bruce down. His plan is something else. Yeah. Mm. Um. So Bruce is sort of incidental to it, but he has many ways of kind of destroying Bruce if what he wants. And so, what what he feels is that he feels that this Bruce is out of all the hundreds of versions mm. of thousands of versions he's seen the most pitiful damn he's like you are the weakest worst one and i'm he's <laughs> like there's nothing you can do to me i know everything you know i know all your hiding spots i have all your training and i have none of your weaknesses he's like you have alfred you have the family you have so many things that i could hurt you know and come after you what do you have on me there's nobody you can hurt that would hurt me there's nothing you can do to me that would hurt me wow. i'm impenetrable to you Meaning, mm. all you can do is physically hurt me, try and kill me, but go ahead, because I'm just as fast and strong as you. And wow. I use weapons that you don't. So he's sort of like, he's so scary to me. Right. Like, I love writing him because he's so scary, right. you know? he's He really is, like, he's, to me, he's the Batman, he's my Batman villain to end all Batman villains. That I, like, writing them, I can't ever imagine creating somebody who would be more sort of a gateway to the darkness and the deep anxieties and fears I've always wanted to explore with this character. So, I mean, you can see I'm going deep. I mean, I'm going hard. To be honest, like, to, not to give too much away, but or not to give, get too on the couch, but yeah. that first memory that's Bruce's memory about his first happy memory is my first happy memory um, oh, about wow. that was my grandparents' house, and I used to run down a hill, and my parents would lock hands with my grandparents and I remember very vividly running into their arms and trying to break through and them holding me back from running into this dark thicket on the other side and um, that memory really fit what I was going for with this and 
so I used it here. But this is a series, especially when I work with Jock, and I just want to throw a sort of shout out to him and Dave Barron, who's the colorist on the book, and they did Black Mirror with me. When I work with them, when I work with Greg, Greg is such, he's the best artist in comics. I mean, I love him to death. Um, and he has this incredible elasticity where he can go really bombastic and huge and comic book giant, like crazy and cosmic or anything, and really intimate in acting. Jock has a very different tone and he's very raw emotionally. What makes his stuff shine on the page is that it looks almost like real life, but heightened by emotion, like heightened by dark, almost ominous sort of emotionality. So things are a little bit twisted, shadows are a little too long, things kind of vibrate. And so that's why I do books like Witches and special issues of Batman with him. Because I, I can tell the same stories with Greg. I could tell a Batman laugh story with Greg. But if I did, I, it wouldn't be that different, but it would be slightly different in terms of how I got to some of the same emotional material. Because Greg's skills, to me, allow me to kind of go all over and wind my way back and use a lot of big comic book language, which I love using. Jock, almost with him, it feels more right to go directly raw for the heart. So that's why Witch is this... They're usually my most openly confessional or most openly sort of emotional books on the surface. Not that they're more emotional than the books I do with other people because they're not. I mean, you know, Metal and Court of Owls and those books are just as personal as anything I've done with Greg, with uh, Jock. But Jock, almost it's on the surface and it's just spoken. It's out. Like with those, with Greg, a lot of the time, like Zero Year is probably my most personal Batman story as zany as it is because I wrote it for my kids. It's about what I want Batman to make them brave for. And I've said this to you before, but it has like super mm -hmm. storms and terrorism and all this stuff. But all of that's like translated into comic book crazy where Riddler is, takes the place of the terrorist and the Red Hood gang is kind of the gun violence and because they attack anywhere at any moment. And, you know, it's all that because Greg is so good at that stuff and, and just better than anybody in the business. And so I can still tell really emotional stuff. But I do it through a different language almost, which I enjoy really with him and, and, and because of what he enjoys drawing too. And sometimes we'll do stuff that's really openly and rawly emotional, especially in like Last Night and there, there are plenty of scenes. But with Jock, it's just piercingly, baldly that. It's, so that's why this story for me is really special in that regard where I want it to be, you read it and you feel the fears and the worries and the kind of nightmares on the surface as opposed to you know them being sublimated into kind of um plot and kind of comic book uh elevate elevated language i hope that makes sense yeah, you know, yeah, what I mean? I know it makes things scarier when it's like that it makes things unpredictable so it makes the the characters feel like they're you know like um the way you're describing i think it's in the second issue you just mentioned the way he's telling that story to bruce like that is pure fucking evil <laughs> like to take oh some... yeah he's 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 super evil and then the other he's really fun too yeah. like he's he goes after penguin in another issue to get oh, something no. from the iceberg lounge which <laughs> it's really funny he's just like Poor you know you're guy. batman he has like 20 things and hidden in your walls they take they would take this melt this place and take it down you know he's yeah. like i know all of them and then he's just sort of like, and he chooses, he's, it, I won't tell you how he brings it down, but he, he uses a funny one to bring the whole place, you know, out. And then at one point he's like, I even know there's water everywhere because the whole place is like melting. And he's, and if you, I'm so, if anyone doesn't want spoilers, you should just like, stop listening, stop me now, <laughs> or just turn it on to mute. But like, he's like, I even know where you keep your defibrillator. Oh. And it's like, the, you know, the thing, and, and he puts it in the water and Penguin's like, don't do it, don't do it. And he's like, clear and he's like clear when like goes flying back all shot you know? it's really he's That's just awesome. he's so mean and he's so fun to write because he makes a he makes a scary argument yeah. which is he really does believe in what he's doing and he believes in he i won't say his kind of whole theory about what gotham should be and all of that yet i mean i'll t i said to you why he thinks bruce our bruce is pathetic but he has a real purpose like he and his argument isn't you know i mean it's terrible and i don't believe it 
but it does lure you in. Like mm. there's, I want him. And the other thing is because in the series, Bruce has been infected with the yeah. final toxin that's making him into the Batman who laughs as it goes forward. He sees a lot of it. Like he starts, the captions start to change and his vision starts to change and he starts to hear things that aren't quite right from Gordon and stuff. And, you know, as he gets worse, he really, the argument the Batman who laughs is making starts to really get into his head more and more. I wanted it to feel kind of like a Jacob's Ladder, uh, you know, that sense of as it gets more and more nightmarish, he's less sure what's real and what's not. Not that anything isn't real. There's no dream sequence or anything. Well, but. the best villains to me are always ones that they actually have a point to their argument that you could buy into, yeah. you know? There's yeah. some truth to what they're saying, and maybe they're taking it a little bit to the extreme, but you find yourself, you know, saying, well, you know what? You're not totally wrong. Yeah. You know, Raza Gul, he's a good example. Yeah. He's not totally wrong. I mean, yeah. Exactly. He has a point, but it's when you his lose method, it's when you lose hope in method, humanity. Right? Yeah. Just, it's like you you click them a little bit too far forward. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. then you're like, right, well then now they're over a line. You know, like it's funny cuz Grim Knight and all the characters are pretty rich to me. I mean, <clears throat> Grim Knight on his world, if you think about a Batman that uses lethal force, like his worst enemy is Jim Gordon on <clears throat> his world. Um and that relationship is really rich to write. And in his one shot, you'll see we really have a lot of fun with it. But um, he's deep too. You know, all these care. I want Bruce to see these aren't just kind of paper cut out villains. You know, Batman Who Laughs is a lot of fun to cosplay, clearly, <laughs> and all of that. But the reason I I hope he sticks, and the reason I hope people really like him is that he's really scary to me. Like he he comes in and he's just like. You know, and, and not just he's scary to Bruce because he is Bruce, which, you know, I think is a brand new thing in a way where he's like, you know, he meets when he meets Superman, not in this series. He doesn't meet this series is very Gotham. But if he met Barbara or anyway, you know, he's like he has all of Bruce's memories up until metal with Barbara. So he knows everything like he's, you know, there's nothing that you have on him as Bruce except mm -hmm. maybe things that have happened in the last like six months that he doesn't know about but um, in that way he's terrifying but beyond being scary to Bruce I want him to be scary to the reader in a way that he's he's making an argument about human nature and about Batman being pitiful where he's like what if your job as the bat is to make us evolve and make this city better and nothing changes and you're the most miserable version of Bruce Wayne and happiness is supposed to speak to contentment and achievement and fulfillment. What does that say about you? That you, you're the anti-bat, you, you've done nothing and it just, everything just circles the same. The people that you, you know, you help go back to the reason we started with the Potter's Ground in issue one is he's like, people you helped wound up in the Potter's Ground, like wound up nameless corpses mm -hmm. eventually because their lives went to shit. So what do you really do to help? You don't make any hard decisions. But the other Bruces that I'm bringing here who are happier than you that I need tissue from for something that I won't spoil, he's like, he's like all of them are happier than you because they all achieve more than you. You achieve nothing. You know, All you do is run in a circle. You fly in a circle around this place and do nothing. Hold yourself and so he's, Yeah, he's mean. I mean, he's mean. You know, you, he really... He says things to Bruce that just hurt, you know, even to write hurt. And I'm like, ugh, I know I've tortured him before. <laughs> I've tortured him before, but this one is real bad, you know. Right. This guy is really mean. And the Joker plays a really fun role as well. I got a bunch of stuff today that's like, what about three Jokers? Is Joker dead? And da-da-da. Like, oh. just spoiler, like, if we really were killing, killing the Joker for real, where he was, like, dead forever, I wouldn't do it. You know, I, like DC would a. I was very clear to DC because they did talk about like, do you want to do something at hypes? Like, does the Joker die or not, and that stuff. And I was like, no, I don't, because I don't want to fool the fans into buying the book for like a gimmick of like Joker dies. Um, because issue two opens with Alfred, ba Batman forcing Alfred to keep him on life support, keep him alive. And all Alfred keeps trying to do is fuck it up so he'll die. <laughs> and Bruce is like, I saw you slip that, that tube, you know, and Alfred's like, damn it, sir. But you know, sir. He's like, 
And he's like, what would be so bad, Bruce, Master Bruce? Why, like, let him die? You wouldn't even be killing him. Yeah. And he's like, this man won't die in our care, Alfred. And he then Alfred's like, well, what if I just, like, if he just is deprived of oxygen for, like, <laughs> three minutes, he'll be brain dead. He'll say, you won't have killed him. He won't even be dead. So you won't break <laughs> your rule. And he's like, Alfred. You know, it's like, it's really... So, no, Joker does not... He's not dead, dead. I wouldn't do that without creating a story that really supported that idea. Um, but he did die for long enough for that serum to come out of his heart for real awesome. and infect Bruce, and there is there is no cure for that. Right. Um, so he's in big trouble. And Joker plays a fun role in this. a scary role, too. I really like this Joker. He's, he's very desperate and unhinged and spooky. There's a lot of scenes with him visually where I think you'll be surprised how frightening he is. What well, I like... I liked, um, we talked about this in our review of the book, and one aspect of this Joker that, you know, again, you bring out the worst and the best of Joker, you know, with the imposter Joker, that's in Arkham, and I was yeah. like, how scared do you have to be of Joker to say, yeah, okay, I'll take your place and sit in Arkham, because what <laughs> you have over me and my family is worse, you know... Than that being was, in an insane asylum? Yeah, yeah. I know, but then you think about him coming after you, and you'd be like, maybe I would do that. Maybe <laughs> I would do that, yeah. You know, I'm going to sit here mm. and take yeah, this. He's, he's got his own plan, too. Like, he he's scary, you know, uh, <clears throat> I won't spoil too much, but there are other characters in it that come back that I think people will be happy with to see. And it really is, It's 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 honestly, it's a big meditation on not just what makes Bruce who he is and that stuff, but why why is it necessary for him to do it the way he does it, even though there's so many arguments against why and maybe he's wrong. You know, you'll see, you have to decide in the book. But that this it's a it's a it's a story that's been on my mind a while, not just in this form, but the thoughts in it have been on my mind a while. Like if I could find a villain to make these arguments, I wanted to do it, but it would require somebody that knew him inside and out, and that's why I was like, once I made the Batman laughs, I was like, I have the guy who would do this story, and then here it is. Scott, uh, you talked about how like some of your fir- your first memory, your happy memory, was that of like parents and grandparents and playing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I remember reading an art. Well, it was like a long time ago when M Night Shyamalan was still like on the top of his game, like right, right after, like I think it was. Right before the village came out, whatever he was doing an interview, and they asked him, "What's what's the scariest thing you remember as a child?" And yeah. Art, he said that the well, not necessarily to happen to him, but the scariest thing that he could think of is coming home late at night, walking into your house, going into your bedroom, and seeing a man that you've never seen before sitting and oh, waiting, waiting for you on your bed. Ugh. So that's at, yeah. So so are there things that like you think about, or maybe memories that you have that scare the shit out of you that like fuel like your horror writing or, the, or like what's the scariest thing that where do you go when you want to write something scary like what do you think about oh yeah no i mean it's it's slightly different like i sometimes it's situational like that where i'll think of something that just scares me to death in terms of a scenario and I, then i try and pick it apart as to what's so scary about it like what's scary about that scene it's the intimacy of somebody on your bed it's being alone it's the fact that you're a kid it's your house someone's gotten in all that stuff like you can unpack it and figure out why it's, and then you build a story to go even darker if you can. So for me, um, a lot of it comes from the, the an inverted version of that, where I think about the things that scare me in general, like the Batman who laughs is really a character that comes from what, if you were freed from your continuity, freed from your life, and you saw a version of yourself that was the blackest, darkest, nightmarish thing, what would that look like? And what if that thing came to your world and was sort of like, God, I am not doing this right, am I? Or am I, you know, am I am I just, you know, too flawed? Or are there things about me that are going to wind up making none of this work in the end? And and then the greatest villains, are the, for me, the, the scariest villains are the ones that, become the embodiment of those fears and then push you to that place and say, oh, those things are all true. Let me show you how they're all true. Mm. You know what I mean? 
And um, the Batman who laughs is is literally the extension of that to the nth degree. I mean, he is he is the Joker is an extension of that where he says to Bruce, "I am your fear that everything you do means nothing." The Batman who laughs is almost like I am every fear you have about yourself and the world embodied in one person who knows everything about you. You know what I mean? He is he is he is the one of the reasons it's kind of a spiritual successor to the Black Mirror is he is the darkest reflection of Bruce mm. to me. You know, he is the kind of everything that keeps Bruce up at night, walking in a black suit with the smiles at him saying, well, I'm here, you know what I mean? And you're not getting rid of me. But he's more Batman. That's the thing. It's funny, whenever anyone else writes him, like for the tie-ins and metal and that stuff, I had to be really clear where I'm like, he's not the Joker. He's not Arch. Like, he doesn't laugh and Wayne. like he's dark as fuck and he looks at you and he has a plan and he's batman the living embodiment of batman always wins that's it he's the shark and the apex predator it's like you know you were dead you were dead the minute i thought of you that's it <laughs> and then we get to see him in live action oh i don't know i mean you know i i I, I mean, I hope my hope is that people like the series and other people like okay, I get to keep, you know, I get to use them again in some capacity because it's written as though I'll never get to write. Like this writes him. This is my everything I've wanted to write with him in one place. So I'm sure I'll have other stories from down the line. But this is really written as though, like with the owls, I was like, if I do everything I ever want in one book, I don't know if I ever have to go back to them. And now I have a lot of ideas for them, but hmm. I have. It's just the. With this guy, I have, I know I have other stories, but this one really encompasses a lot. This is meant to be kind of his real, kind of you know, center stage spotlight. And it's interesting too. The thing that's, the last thing I'll say, and I, sh- I should probably crash because it's getting late, is that um, you know, at this point in my career, I wouldn't go back to Gotham anymore unless I had something different to do uh, and special. I, Gotham is my favorite place, you know, to go write, and it's been so good to me, and I love it so much, and the fans so much, and the characters, the mythos, all of it, that I would never go back there lightly anymore. You know, I would only do it if I had something that I thought was special. Um, but being special at this point is hard because there's so much that I've done at DC, not just in Gotham, but in general, that I. I'm always trying to, as hokey as it sounds, write things that make me sort of feel uncomfortable because they're new. So it's a return to roots, this story, in the way that it goes back to Black Mirror in terms of its tone and in terms of the art team and the kind of the kind of um, essence of it. But it also does things that we've never done before. It has multi-dimensional cosmic elements that are really expansive for a story that Jock draws. You know, Jock doesn't normally do that stuff. And it gets very big. It gets very bombastic with a lot of destruction and bad vehicles and villains. And that's not usually Jock either. So the two of us are really pushing each other to start at a place that feels like home and going back to our roots. But then we want to go somewhere you haven't seen us go before, both emotionally, psychologically, but even visually with, with a lot of the elements that we're bringing in, we want it to really stun and startle people. So, you know, I, I hope they, you go for it because we're definitely trying to bring it. I mean, I don't know how many more stories I have in terms of not really bad. I mean, Batman, I have a lot that I, uh, in my head, but just with superhero comics in DC, I've been there a long time. I'd love to stay longer. And I certainly have at least another, you know, year plus contract contract and all of it. But it becomes it becomes harder and harder to figure out ways to keep yourself exciting to you because you've written so many different stories with so many superheroes and so many different styles. You know, for me, that my favorite writers are not the writers that write very much one style all the time. I have plenty that I love like that, you know, um, prose writers and comic writers. So it's not that I don't I don't appreciate that and love love them uh, and have favorite writers that have our favorite stories at least by writers like that but my absolute favorite writers are the ones that find multiple genres multiple styles to write about things that you identify as them because of the subject matter and because of the similarities in their work even if the approach to that work 
is very different and they're pushing themselves constantly formally and they're always exploring different things it's not coming back to the same subject necessarily always over and over but jason aaron you know is a great example of somebody who can write southern bastards and star wars you know what i mean and both you can recognize as him for the themes jeff lemire another great example is somebody who's like can do something like royal city and then do the terrifics you know Mm -hmm. and both things have similarities about family about home about making a home when you've lost your home things like that so for me that's my golden ring similar i try really hard to do that between like never going back and writing something similar to what i wrote before or at least like the same repetitive so which is you know ad justice league is written as a 50 issue run not arc the way i wrote batman so it's meant to be very uh cumulative um, Batman Who Laughs is grounded but cosmic. You know, I'm using third person narration in Justice League. All the, you, I try, and, and so this one to me holds a very special place. It's like going back to the most familiar home base in comics for me. Like this is where I started at DC was Black Mirror. So I need to go there, make sure it's really, really true to core heart, like in its heart and emotions and then go someplace that I haven't gone with you guys. So that's what I'm trying to do with this one in a real way. And I hope, I hope people dig it. Cause I'm, yeah. you know, we're trying really hard. Well, I really dig the, uh, the special shout out you gave me in this issue. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> Anytime. I, I sent you a, a, a Twitter DM that kind of explains that, but you know, the little insurance dark Knight returns. I saw it. Yeah. I yeah, love that. Just, I thought that was hilarious. like, hell- how long have you had that joke in your head? head? And I was like, no, no, no. I I really, it hasn't been that long at all. But I I love that joke. So Um, DC almost was like, that's too, you can't do that. That's too hokey. And I was like, I'm taking the levity where I can get it in this one. So I'm going to get it. Scott, okay. The uh, the only other thing I wanted to uh, ask you about real quick, uh, this sort of leaned into what you were talking about, whether you would have something else to do with the Batman Who Laughs. Uh, I don't remember if this was when you were on to talk to us uh, during metal or if this was something we talked about at a con or something, but you were talking about uh, hinging on the success of metal uh, that would decide if DC would allow you to continue using the dark nights that you created for it. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's gone over, it went over great and you, you're now doing the story with the Batman who laughs. Do you have anything in in your brain that if this one is successful enough, would we see anything from D- the Dawnbreaker or anything like that? Because mm-hmm. these characters have entire worlds. And especially the Dawnbreaker is the one I'm most interested in because we see, he's the he's unique to all the other Dark Knights where we meet them all as Batman and, and he's see kid. what twisted right. them. Yeah, him, we see him as a kid. He has that, gets the, the Green Lantern power then, but is ruthless with it. Oh, absolutely. And then it jumps to when he's an adult, so there's an entire lifetime of story that is up for grabs there. Kind of like Jesus. Yeah, I, I would be spoiling too much, but oh, I don't want to spoil too much. But we we absolutely have plans to bring them back. Oh um, so shit! You'll see you'll see the whole group coming at some point, but I won't say when or where. Oh my god, Scott! Before we let you go, um, pretend I'm Joe Quesada. And you've come into my office. You've done everything you want to do right now at DC. And I tell you, whatever you want, man, this is your playground. Where do you want to start first at Marvel? I have a couple of places. I mean, I have a Hulk story that I was telling Greg about. But I feel like it would be, it's called Hulk Smash Everything. And it's like, <laughs> it's really, it goes back to the, the very roots of it about what the bomb that made him is and all of it. And it, it goes, it's crazy big. So there's that, which Greg really likes and wants to do because the, the bane, you can imagine Greg yes. Kulo drawing the Hulk would big be like fucking monstrous. Right? And I have a, a, I have a Wolverine story in my head and a Captain America story in my head that's separate. It's, uh, uh, but I also have a story, I want to do a series one day that's Wolverine, Captain America, and Ghost Rider all together. Yes. Um, because they're all characters that have been around quite a while, and they're all characters that uh, ride motorcycles. And I want to do something with the three of them teamed up, and I have an idea for it that sounds insane, but I really think it could work. Yeah, um, About cases from the past that they secretly go solve together now. 
and stuff like that. But the biggest stuff is I have a big Hulk pitch, big Captain America pitch, um, big uh, Wolverine pitch separately. So those are the characters I think I'd go in and say these, you know. Amazing. Spidey too. I like Spidey a lot. Yeah. I do. Greg would kill it on Spidey. That'd be fun. I have a Spidey idea, but Spidey, I think, right. The hard thing with Spider-Man is that, you know, Slot just covered so much ground. He he did so. He was my biggest competitor when I was on Batman, and it was very much like watching him do. Similar to us, it was almost like I would watch him reinvent the character, and it would make me want to reinvent Batman again and do something we'd never done. And there's just so. I, I, I'm a little intimidated still from Spider-Man because I watched him do so many great things on that. <laughs> yeah, it's good you stuff. Um, yeah. We uh, we really respectful of your time. We don't want to keep you any longer. We know you've had a long week so far. It's only Wednesday, but you already had that summit and everything. Thanks so much for yeah, making time right. for us, man. Um, uh, I want to let people know, oh, too. No, it's a pleasure. I really appreciate yeah. you having me on. We've got to do it again soon. I wanted to let people know that if they want more of you, you do have that YouTube channel up. That's really cool that you've been doing with like an inside. Oh yeah, yeah. I have to. I have to go back. I haven't. I want to do more of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you give a link or anything like that, I do a YouTube channel now. Where when I can, it's 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 not as frequent as most of them. But I um, interview other creators and talk about craft and give sneak peeks of the book. So it gives me a way to talk to fans more directly. Yeah, it's an yeah you've had a uh, great you've had great taste in your uh, your creator guests on the show. Uh, you had Brian Hill and Sean Murphy on there who we had both had uh, on on our show as well. Very nice. Yeah, I want to have Greg on next or have on uh, have on uh, uh, you know James and Josh and Tom King and it'll be fun. Awesome. Well, thanks so much Scott. We really appreciate it again. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. Thank have you, a buddy. great night, man. Have a great Talk night. Yeah. All right. I'm going to crash you guys. That was great. It was really fun. Thank you for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you, All man. Right. All right. Take care, guys. Later, Scott. Later. Bye.